0: Hello everybody and welcome back to the It's a Mind Game podcast. My name is Jade and today I'm so excited to have my beautiful friend and partner back on Claudia or Nourished by Claudia on Instagram to talk about a super hot topic when it comes to ED recovery and HA recovery. Welcome!
1: Thank you Jade. I'm smiling so hard because I'm so happy to see you and to be back here. So thank you for having me again.
0: Oh it's I always look forward to these ones and my favorite, but in particular, I'm really excited about this one because we've got a few more, I guess, interesting facts, things that are going to help with women's progress throughout their HA and ED recovery. And it's kind of like a dark corner of the room.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so I guess let's just air it out. Let's talk gastroparesis. What is it? Yeah. What does it do?
1: Yeah, And thank you for asking, because so many health professionals who have not been trained in eating disorders, they often fail to understand and uh, detect gastroparesis, which is then going to feel uh, they're going to give the wrong protocols and women are going to feel so much worse because of it. But basically, gastroparesis is a condition in which the process of emptying the stomach slows down. So there can be a number of medical conditions, but it's extremely common in people who have restrictor, their eating habits, or they've been overtraining. Um, For example, it goes hand-in-hand with the female triad or RED-S, and it can occur in people of all sizes. So, which is why sometimes it's so hard to detect if it's gastroparesis or not. There are a few tests that can be done. They are very uh, medical oriented, and most of them, they're quite invasive. But normally, someone would know if they have gastroparesis because of the following symptoms. So one would be bloating after a meal, early fullness, so you know that you have a plate in front of you and after the the first couple of tablespoons, you already feel full, abdominal pain after eating or throughout the day, abdominal distension in general, nausea, nausea is a big one vomiting uh, that can be caused by the eating disorder, but that can also be triggered by gastroparesis because there is literally not enough space in the stomach and fullness after eating very little, which can be very confusing if you have an eating disorder, because obviously if you wanna um, improve and get your period back and get back to health and you have an eating disorder, the protocol is to eat every couple of hours. And if you're suffering from gastroparesis, this can become like a full-time job, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to get into the medical side of things, so when you swallow food, it goes through the esophagus and then into the stomach. So in a normal person, the food will stay in the stomach for approximately a couple of hours. It gets emulsified and then it moves on with the rest of the digestion. But with su- in someone suffering from gastroparesis, so it's a delayed emptying the food can stay in there up to six hours. So if you're asked to have a meal every two to three hours, but the food is stuck inside of you for six hours, can you just imagine the discomfort? Mm -hmm. Um, So have I been making sense, Jade?
0: Yeah, 100%. And I'm glad that you went through some of the symptoms that come up with gastroparesis because I think that's where it's so easy for, men and women, really, to get misdiagnosed because we have so many terms out there right now that is, um, what is it, leaky gut or like FODMAP protocols or um, like even IBS. And don't get me wrong, IBS is absolutely a real condition, but I've just found or witnessed quite a few stories in the HA recovery world or even ED space where so many people have been misdiagnosed with IBS, so therefore they go on a low FODMAP diet, and it actually feeds the eating disorder because suddenly it's like, but well, I can't eat anything unless it's on this particular list. Otherwise, it's going to make me sick. Whereas the treatment for gastroparesis is, is quite different. Could you maybe describe what how you would go about healing the gut if you're experiencing gastroparesis and how it is different to perhaps someone who has full-blown IBS?
1: Well, it's very interesting that you also ma- uh, mentioned the low FODMAP diet because if someone is suffering from all the symptoms—the bloating, the nausea, the fullness—they um, are normally recommended by plenty of dietitians to follow a low FODMAP diet. A low FODMAP diet should be followed by a maximum amount of six to eight weeks. After that, food needs to be reintroduced, and in terms of gastroparesis, the only way to heal the the stomach and the esophagus is to start eating more food. And obviously in the beginning the there is, is going to be some discomfort and we can also talk about a few things that could help the process. But, but yes, yeah, so the low format diet sometimes does exacerbate gastroparesis. Uh, and it's not only that, because women that suffer from a, a current or past eating disorder, they may have also different different issues that we need to deal with because our digestion starts from the mouth where the saliva is produced and where the salivary enzymes are produced. And that's the first stop where we start breaking down the food. If you have been suffering from malnourishment for a long period of time, the salivary enzymes decreases. After that, the digestive enzymes decreases and the digestive enzymes are absolutely fundamental to attack and break down the food. And also the level of hydrochloric acid decreases. And uh, it's very funny because lots of women, especially on a vegan diet, low format diet, or when they're suffering with an eating disorder, they do suffer from heartburn and acid reflux. And they go to a doctor and they say, look, I have acid reflux and they're given a proton pump inhibitors, which decrease the level of hydrochloric Mm -hmm. acid. But in reality, if you want to fix the root cause, you need to increase the level of digestive enzymes, salivary enzymes, hydrochloric acids, even before tackling gastroparesis. So mm-hmm. sounds like a law, but it's absolutely uh, doable and achievable with a few simple steps. And I've seen women recovering from gastroparesis in somewhere between eight to 12 weeks when they stick to the protocol in a quite a diligent way, let's say.
0: So I guess one way, two really important things I feel like you touched on is one uh, like that's so common in the outside world, like generally speaking, when people go to a GP for acid reflux or heartburn or any kind of digestive discomfort. And the process is like the low FODMAP diet or simply just take the antacid or it's a very quick fix. And I guess the really good thing to identify there as well is that general practitioners are doing the best they have with the knowledge they have. And unfortunately, the knowledge they have just isn't that great. And it's so easy to fall into the position where you go to a GP, ask for their professional help. They give you the best of what they know, but unfortunately, it's just it's. It's so shy of what it it could be if you saw someone who specializes in nutrition and digestion where you could actually get the advice and a better diagnosis as to what's going on to essentially remedy the scenario versus taking a tablet or even a super common one being stuck on a low FODMAP indefinitely when as you said it's meant to be a treatment protocol it's meant to be for a short period of time and then the reintroduction of foods occurs Um, even myself personally when I went to the GP with digestive issues back when I had my eating disorders that's what I got told it was like you've got to go on a low FODMAP diet Um, so of course that's what I did I downloaded the Monash app I was typing in the foods green light orange light red light and Short term, I did notice changes, but I also found that the foods that were left over for me to eat, I started reacting to. It actually made everything worse. And then we'll save that story for another day. But as you beautifully said, it was actually introducing new foods in a moderate way, like slowly but surely, that led to my stomach being able to heal and now digest well. But if I had have trusted GP's advice, things actually would have gotten worse. Um, do you find sometimes when clients come to you that they've been in that exact position where they've gone to their GP, they've asked for the best advice possible, but it's it's actually not helping them. If anything, it's it's disabling them from healing and it's also playing quite a social toll. Because it's so hard to know what to eat, and if you're going out to a restaurant, even you know, no garlic, no onion, no all the things that people cook with, it creates such uh, even more fear around food when you're just trying to heal something.
1: Mm-hmm. I have clients coming to me and when they were already taking five different types of medication for their eating disorders and gut issues, and they were left with only five foods they they could safely eat, which was obviously not only exacerbating their symptoms, but also feeding, as I said before, the the eating disorder. And it's not only the regular GP. I, um, I rely on a naturopath, they're amazing, but if you are working with a naturopath, just make sure that it's someone that knows about an eating disorder because also if you, if you go and see a naturopath that knows a lot about gut, but not enough about an eating disorder, normally what she would suggest is a, is a treatment protocol that involves lots of supplements, lot, lots of further testing like a GI map or food sensitivities testing. But if you have been malnourished and depleted for such a long period of time, if you are experiencing gut dysbiosis and gastroparesis, if you do those testing, it's gonna come up that you're reacting to everything because your system is not functioning. So if the naturopath goes down the rabbit hole of um, taking away even more food, because if you follow the the test you're reacting to it, then once again, we go back to the rabbit hole of eating less and be more fearful, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah.
0: Did that make sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I I guess for anyone listening, what is the safest way to go about, I want to say assessing for loss of words, um, the medical help that you seek? Because as you said, you, you might see a nutritionist who you would assume is well-versed in these things, but if they're not necessarily well-versed in eating disorders, they still might not even know that information, though you would assume they do. Um. Can that present... Because you know, we've had conversations outside of the podcast around these sort of topics. Where, yes, you have your main education that's done at university, but um, you know, things that you've shared with me about all the additional courses that you've done to facilitate um, eating disorder recovery is so much more than what you know occurred at university. So, if you are seeking help of someone because you you think your eating disorder behaviours are fueling this gut issue, what things should we be looking for, or potentially? What questions should we be asking to sort of screen that this is an appropriate person to be asking about our health?
1: Yeah, so the first one will simply be, have you had any experience in uh, working with women with uh, an eating disorder? Have you had any experience in working with women that had delayed gastric emptying or gastroparesis um, due to the eating disorders? What's normally your treatment protocol in regards to those occasions? Would you always prescribe supplements or would you just wait and see my dietary diary before prescribing anything uh, often? Or another good question could be, how much do you know about gastroparesis? As simple mm-hmm. as that, how would you diagnose it? Um, which kind of symptoms does gastroparesis present with? How would you differentiate it from IBS? Ask those type of questions. And, um, Normally, the practitioners and health professionals, they do offer a 15-minute free consult. So I will spend the time to check in with them before booking the first appointment.
0: Yeah, and based on your knowledge, do you feel that there is quite a difference between the symptoms of IBS and gastroparesis if you're well-versed in them? Or can it be tricky to identify which category you fall into?
1: It can be really tricky, but I get I have to say that IBS happens in a wide variety of uh, people and gastroparesis normally happens with women that have been suffering from malnourishment and depletion. So the the root causes are really different. The treatment can be similar in some way because we always need to work on on improving our, our response to stress. That's a big one for IBS and gastroparesis. And also it's important to work on the mindset in terms of making peace with food and rekindling our relationship with food. Because if when you eat something, you get a symptom, whatever that is, and you start feeling uncomfortable, then it's very normal to become fearful around Mm -hmm. having a meal. So working on the mindset, calming down the nervous systems, paramount in both cases. And then when it comes to gastroenteritis, it's more about adding in the food with more frequency and learning about tools that you can implement to dec- decrease the discomfort.
0: Yeah, Yeah, because that's probably the biggest deterrence, I guess, from trying to recover because sometimes when it comes to ED recovery or healing the gut or even HA, it's the I know I want to feel better, but I'm scared of what I need to go through in order to feel better. And there is that behavior loop of, but when I do it, I feel uncomfortable or I'm self-conscious, but it's knowing that there is light at the end of the tunnel and that it can be done in quite a like secure manner like if someone was seeing you for your guidance it's not as though you're just going I'll go to the supermarket add in five more ingredients you know it's it's not that simple it's more of a analyzing food that's currently being consumed what's something appropriate to add in as a potentially a whole food as well as supplements to help minimize the response Um, I guess when you're looking at it from that side of things there's there's quite a, a structure to getting from where you are now to where you want to be with your gut health, would that be, like, fairly accurate based on what you do with with clients?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And can I also say that the difference between IBS and gastroparesis is that when you start, curing, healing, let's say IBS, then you start feeling better in within a couple of weeks or maybe a month. When you start working on gastroparesis, the first couple of months are really tough and difficult, which makes the whole process even uh, um, even more challenging, but it's still very, very possible. And yes, in terms of treatments, I will start from the um, the top. So starting from the mouth, going down to the stomach, and then going down to the rest of the digestive system, so we don't leave any any stones unturned, if it makes sense. And then it's all about trial and error as well, because every single woman is different. Every single woman responds differently to supplements and probiotics and foods, so it's very important to do it uh, to work. Uh, your way through while dealing very closely with a professional that I can understand your symptoms and your current situation. Because if you have to do it on your own, you are more likely to
0: give up. Mm. Good. I guess because the the duration of healing as well. It's it's hard to commit to a longer time frame when you're experiencing symptoms that are uncomfortable and can potentially make you self conscious. And it's so easy to go and to see it's just not working, versus having someone coaching you through and be like you know, this is part of the process. This is why we're doing it. Here's how things will shape up if we continue to do what we're doing. And sometimes it's nice to have that confirmation of it feels like it's not working right now, but, you know, there is that light at the end of the tunnel. I guess I have one more question before we finish things up based on someone who's going to see a professional. And let's say they've asked the questions that you suggested earlier have you heard of gastroparesis? Have you dealt with it before? Have you worked with women with eating disorders? That list that you gave us, if they were to be asked to supply a food diary and the food diary only had details of ingredients, could that potentially be a red flag for the level of observation the professionals giving. And I'm only asking that because I feel like that's something that's really common across the board, not necessarily just for healing the gut, but for periods, for hormone restoration, that a food diary might be submitted where it's just the foods. And because there's no concept of volume, it's easy to kind of categorise, oh, that looks really healthy. You know, they're having a salad, they're having chicken, but the thing is they might be having a thumb of chicken versus a palm of chicken. So not that we're criticizing eating behaviors, but if you're seeking someone's help for a condition like this, do you think it's important that they would be interested in the size or the volume of the foods you're eating?
1: Mm, And uh, look, I can only speak uh, for myself, but it's interesting that you ask me these questions because normally before a one-on-one sessions, I send them a food diary to fill in. Uh, I shall call it a food and lifestyle diary because I also want to know how much to sleep, how often they pull, which what the, the pool looks like, how stressed they are, how anxious they are. And then there is a list of meals that they can have every day. And after they send it back to me, I always say, okay, cool, you've done that. Fantastic. First or more tick, send me pictures now. Because I really want to see how much you're eating. Because if you're writing chocolate, that can mean anything between five grams of chocolate and two chocolate bars. So mm-hmm. which one is which? Send me pictures. So I, we don't have to guess and we can really focus and get straight to the point. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Portion size is very incredibly, and also depending on your symptoms. If you have been suffering from severe gastroparesis, I can assure you that the amount of food that you can digest and absorb, it's really, really little in the beginning. So it's okay to work with what you can do, but the idea is to upgrade the food and also implement the options and boost the intake in a way that it's safe for you to do,
0: to follow. Perfect. Claudia, thank you so much for all of your time and your wisdom. And I'm so glad we got to have this conversation and get it out there to all of our beautiful listeners. Now I'm going to leave our contact details in the show notes. And of course, if anyone would like to have a chat to us about joining the HA Dream Team, which is our little duo that we've got going on and the wonderful community on Facebook, um, we would love to talk to you about how we could help you optimize your health and your outcomes. But for now, thank you so much, Claudia.
1: Thank you, Jade. See you next time. See you then.